So what we're going to talk about tonight <clears throat> is not what I was expecting to talk about tonight. I was, um, I was planning on finishing up um, our series called Paths. Some of you guys may remember we were in that series before the coronavirus happened. And uh, the last time we taught, I, I keep referencing this, but I just thought it was hilarious. But if you remember the last time we met, uh, we had that sheet up here and Cody was hiding back in that room feeding kids stuff and holding microphones in their face and people had to guess what food they were smacking. Um, like we, we, uh, we uh, and then we taught a lesson called the path of salvation, right? And we sat in here and we saw six kids give their lives to Christ that night. And I look back on that as the last time uh, that, that I got to teach in here, um, like really to a Wednesday night crew. And uh, it's kind of like chilling to think about the last time we were, the last time we really had a Wednesday night in here, um, you know, that was going on. And so tonight my plan was I had one more lesson in the path series that I didn't get to finish. So it's like the incomplete uh, if any of you guys are uh, musical, which I know some of you guys are, it's like playing a scale and not playing the top note. Like that makes you want to like just like punch a wall. Um, but that's how I feel. Like I desperately want to finish the path series. And so I was totally prepared to come in and teach that. And as I was looking through some stuff on my computer today, I came across a lesson that I taught years ago. I mean, I was probably a brand new young youth pastor and I came across it. And I really felt like God laid this on my heart to teach tonight. And, and so I'm going to dive into, um, you know, an area of the Christian life that isn't really so cut and dry. Something that, that almost like is, is a point of contention between a lot of Christians. And it's, it's becoming a point of contention not only between Christians, uh, but because the outside world is putting this pressure on Christians and making us or forcing us to almost make a decision between these two things. Um, <clears throat> so you guys know me um, and, and I haven't got to teach on this a whole lot. Uh, I just haven't had a series that has really set me up to teach on this. But um, you've probably heard me say that love, this idea of love is the most important aspect in the Christian faith. Like that it says in this in scripture, it says that uh, that they will be able to identify the Christians by the way they love one another. And so looking at this idea of love and the way that we care for one another as Christians, we have to be people who whose love for each other is set apart from the rest of the world. And so we're called to be people of love. But instead of just looking at love tonight, we're going to look at something that is relative kind of to love. And that's this idea of tolerance. Okay. And so we can see now that I told you that tonight we're talking about the difference between love and tolerance, that we're getting into this gray area in Christianity where the world is telling us that we need to be tolerant of these things uh, that they're trying to, to push on us, these things that they're trying to tell us are okay. And as Christians, when we're called to love, we have to find this line between saying, hey, you know what? I love you, but I'm not tolerant of what you're doing. And this is a, I mean, we can all sit in here and some of you guys are probably going, oh dear, this is going to get hairy very quickly. And it really does, 
right? We look at this, this fine line that we have to walk between loving someone and being tolerant of what the Bible characterizes as sinful behavior. Now, I think it's no surprise to any of you guys that tolerance is a buzzword in our society, right? Like it's treated as almost like the cure-all for any disagreement. Like if two people are arguing and someone just goes, you just need to be more tolerant. Like that's the solution to everything. In fact, uh, most people probably in our country and, in, and even probably some of you guys in here um, feel that everyone would get along better if everyone just had a little bit more tolerance. And inversely, that any conflict between two people is somehow linked to one person or the other's intolerance of something. Now, I look at this word tolerance, and I wonder what the limitations are, right? Because tolerance has to have some form of limitations. Our society defines tolerance as blindly accepting everything about everyone. Right? That's kind of like the general um, definition that if you just ask someone, what, what would you say tolerance is? They would say, oh, being accepting, right? And, and so that what they mean by that is that you need to be accepting of all things about every person. And this, this includes and is not limited to questioning people's life choices and or their behavior, and I hear this all the time, and I'm sure you guys too, someone say, if that's how they want to live, who am I to tell them they're wrong? How many of you guys have heard someone say something similar to that, right? If, if that's how they want to live, who am I to tell them that they're wrong to live that way? I hear this all the time from people. And, and when I look at this, and I really don't want to try to just kill this argument like right here, but I see two main issues with it. Just right off the bat. First, where do we draw the line? So, so when they say, if they want to live that way, who am I to tell them it's wrong? Where do we draw this line? Is it at disobeying parents? Is it cutting class? Speeding? Smoking? Drinking? Sexual preference? Drug use? Violence? Murder? Like, where do we draw the line? Right. If, if I'm sitting here and someone's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a serial murderer. It's not OK if I go, hey, you know what? If that's how you want to live your life, who am I to tell you you're wrong? You go out and kill those people like everyone in here laughs when I say that. Right. That sounds like the stupidest thing I could ever say. But if someone says, hey, you know what? I'm going to go out with my friends and I'm going to go drinking tonight. And if you say, hey, man, you know what? You're not 21. I don't really think you should do that. They turn to you and they go, hey, you can't tell me how to live my life. So where do we draw this line? One you laughed at and one maybe felt like a very real scenario. Where do we draw this line is the, is the first issue I have with this. Who, who's to say where this line is drawn or what tolerance means or doesn't mean. Second, the second issue I really see with this is as Christians, we believe that the world has fallen, right? And I could go into a, a big long story about Adam and Eve. And what's, what's funny is, <coughs> I'll, I'll finish this point and then I'll jump into that. But we believe the world's fallen 
Um, And we live in a world filled with pain and suffering because the world's fallen. And and I'll tell you my story now. Uh, My parents took Charlie and Landon, uh, uh, my kids, their grandkids, to Branson this last weekend to go see Noah's Ark at the Sight and Sound Theater. You know, all the animals and blah, blah, blah. And uh, Charlie started asking questions. And she, she's very well aware that there's like a virus or a sickness going around, but she doesn't fully understand it, right? She's four. Um, and so she was asking my parents, why is this sickness going around? Or why, you know, why is this happening? And my mom, thinking she was going to be like, oh, I'll give this cute little four-year-old answer to her. Goes, she goes, it's because Adam and Eve ate the apple. Right? That's, that's why we live in this world. We, we just established that as Christians, we believe we live in this fallen world of pain and suffering and sickness because of the fall of man. And Charlie immediately looks and she goes, who is Adam and who is Eve and why did they eat that apple? <laughs> and, and I just thought this was so funny. And she still goes on. She's like, where is this apple? Why did they eat it? Why is this apple so magical that it causes like sickness to break out when you take a bite of it? She didn't understand. And so it was kind of a missed point. But here it makes sense, right? We look at the fact that, that Adam and Eve were commanded by God to, that they could do literally anything they wanted except for eat of the fruit of the, tr- the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that was one of the first things that they did. So they ate from this tree and because that God punished them and he punished all of mankind saying that you will now live that you can read in Genesis 3, it talks about the, the punishment for man and the punishments for woman. And, and because of that, we live in this world that has fallen. And, and so one of the biggest questions I get from students or peers or even adults sometimes is how can there be a God that is good in a world that has so much evil? And the one question of this is because our sin, though, quote, way we want to live that no one can tell us not to do is why we're here. It has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with us. And this evil and pain in the world isn't from God. It's a result of our disobedience to God. And it's honestly a result of this word tolerance. If you think back, okay, it says Eve partook of the apple and she turned and gave some to Adam. You know, Adam could have been there and he could have been like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And, and, and I picture, you know, people like to always say that it was the woman's fault, you know, that she took a bite and then went and sought out Adam. I read the Bible as that they were there together, okay? And she just bit it first, okay? So Adam could have stopped her, in my mind. I, I, I'm not sure I'm 100% right, but I feel like he was probably there. Adam could have said, hey, Eve, you know what? God said not to do that. We really shouldn't do that. And I imagine Eve going... Who are you to tell me how to live my life? The same line that we just said, you know, something or her saying, no way. You can't tell me what to do and takes a bite. And then when nothing happened to her, because God told them they would surely die. He was talking about spiritual death, not physical death. When she didn't physically die, Adam goes, "Okay, well, nothing too bad happened. I'll do it, too. That's kind of how I play that out in my mind. But I think that all this pain, all this evil Everything about this world that makes us question whether or not there's a God doesn't come from God. It comes from us and our tolerance for sin in our lives and the lives of those around us. As Christians, 
We should not just stand back and be tolerant of the world and be okay with the suffering that goes on on this earth. We are called to be people of love, not to be people of tolerance. There's a huge difference. The love that we are called to show can transform a hurting world and make it new. The love of Jesus that we are called to show can transform a hurting world. Tolerance destroys a hurting world. We're going to get into our scriptural example here. Most of you probably know uh, this story. There's even a cute little song to go with it. Um, you guys want to sing the song? Yeah. I think some of you guys will know it. Bingo. That's a, okay. No, okay. We're not going to sing the song. Everyone's like, no, please don't make me sing the song. Okay. So we all know the song. Well, I'm sure most of us know the song. I, I can't assume. There's things that I think that like I was taught in like children's church growing up. And then I get here and people are like, you're crazy. And I'm like, okay, apparently in Oklahoma, we have a different type of children's church. But, um, so I'm going to read from Luke 19, <clears throat> Luke 19 verses one through 10, the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. So it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I will give half my possessions to the poor. And, I, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times this amount. Jesus said to them, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save what is lost. <clears throat> okay, so let's look at this kind of in like 2020 terms. Okay, so Zacchaeus, he was a hated man in his community, right? He was, uh, he was the tax collector, meaning that the, the taxes that you had to pay to the government... He personally came around to your house and he collected them. And if you couldn't afford them, he collected it anyway, right? And a lot of times being that tax collector, let's say you, excuse me, let's say you owed $100 to the government. He would come in and say, hey, you owe $200 to the government. And he would take your $200 and he would pocket $100 and he would give $100 to the government. Or sometimes it was even more than that, right? So he was just straight up a thief, a bad guy, right? He was, <clears throat> he was, the, he was just despised by this community. Now, let's look at the difference here. Zacchaeus was hated by the community, but he was tolerated by them, right? Mostly because they had to tolerate him. I'm sure that some of the people would have liked to have punched him in the face, but they probably would have been thrown in jail for the rest of their life. <clears throat> but he was hated but he was tolerated. So the people did the only thing they knew to do, and that was they labeled him an outsider in the community. They didn't interact with him, and they wanted nothing to do with him. In fact, when Jesus came into town, 
they made it, and I don't know if this was intentional or not, but they made it to where Zacchaeus was unable to make his way to the viewing area, right? Like, if Zacchaeus really wanted to see Jesus, like, I don't know about you guys, but I've got little kids. And so, like, if I really want my little kids to see a parade or something, I show up early to the parade and get a good seat, right? So I'm imagining in my mind that if Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, he could have gotten to where Jesus was early enough to have seen him from the ground, but I have a feeling that people, he, he was probably not welcome out in the community, right? Like if they saw him out there, people would probably like yell at him and like cuss him out and whatever. <clears throat> so I figure he probably stayed in his house until it was too late. And then he tried to get to where Jesus was and these, his, only, his only way of seeing it was to climb this tree. And, and I think that this is all obvious because no one interacted with him through this whole process. No one's like, hey, bro, let me give you a boost up into the tree. Like, we don't see that in here. We just see that he's like, okay, I can't see Jesus. I'm going to climb this tree. And two, I think that this is obvious because we see that when Jesus interacts with Zacchaeus, all the other people, they start murmuring is what it says. They start going, oh my goodness, what is Jesus doing talking to that guy? Right? The same thing that most of us would probably do if Jesus came into our schools, into our youth group, and started talking to the person that was the outcast, right? Like, we would all be like, why in the world did Jesus pick to talk to that person? Zacchaeus' life was a mess. And in turn, he was making everyone's life around him miserable. Something needed to change in his life drastically, right? He was someone who was living in sin. Just like all of us, right? We all are people who sin. The Bible says that all sin falls short of the glory of God. We're all people who are living in sin. He needed this radical change in his life. And it wasn't going to come from people being tolerant of his sin, right? Everyone, Jesus could have sat there and he could have been like, Hey, Zacchaeus, uh, you know what? You're doing a lot of bad things, but I'm going to be tolerant of that. You just go ahead and keep doing your bad things because you know what? I can't tell you how to live your life. Tolerance will never lead someone to change. And Zacchaeus needed to change. He needed something more than tolerance. He needed love. And, and we usually think of love as this like warm, fuzzy feeling that we get towards someone else. Like maybe when we think they're cute or whatever. But this love that I'm talking about, it's a real life transforming type of love. Something that's so much deeper. I think of the love that is apparent that I have for my children, right? I don't just let my children go out and do whatever they want because they're children and they don't know better. They don't know things that are dangerous for them and they don't understand why they can't do certain things. And so because I love them, I chastise them, right? And that sounds kind of messed up. But if I don't want my kid to pull the TV off of the table under their head, I get onto him when he starts pulling or shaking the, t the table, right? Like, because I love them, because I have this strong love and affection for them, I do what is best for them, even if they don't like it, even if they don't agree with it. Transformational love seeks the greater good in others. 
being judgmental, being someone who just goes around going, you're not doing the right thing, you're not doing the right thing, and you're not doing the right thing. That's not the kind of love we're looking for. We're not looking for this condemning, judgmental. We're looking for something that says, hey man, you know what? You want to go party, drink with these kids when you're underage? That's not who you are. You're a good kid. You're a good person. I'm seeing the good in you. And because I see the good in you, I'm going to tell you that you shouldn't be doing that. That's the kind of love we're talking about here. The kind of love that is seeing the good in others, maybe even when no one else sees it. Now, the, the Bible doesn't go into detail of what Jesus and Zacchaeus' dinner date looked like. Okay, It doesn't go, Jesus walks into Zacchaeus' house and like lays out the gospel of Luke and share, or lays out Romans and shares the Roman road and Zacchaeus becomes a Christian. It doesn't tell us what happened in that conversation. But I have a feeling that we know because we see other conversations that Jesus has with, with sinners of kind of the same grain, the same magnitude as Zacchaeus. We see some accounts of those. And I'd be willing to bet that Jesus was anything but tolerant of Zacchaeus's actions and his behaviors. Yeah, you know, I, I think Jesus in this situation probably was very nice about it. But there was definitely a confrontation about the way Zacchaeus was living his life. The result of this love and this lack of tolerance is what led to a complete transformation in the life of Zacchaeus. If Jesus would have been tolerant of Zacchaeus, no change would have happened. He would have continued to do what he was doing and said, no one can tell me how to live my life. But because there was love, and sometimes love comes with confrontation, we see Zacchaeus' life was transformed. And after experiencing the love of Jesus, Zacchaeus decided to give away half of his possessions and make amends with anyone who had wronged him. Or who he had wronged, I'm sorry. Jesus never condemned the sinners he encountered. If you look at all the times that Jesus ran into sinners, we look at Zacchaeus, we look at uh, the, the adulterous woman, we look at all these different stories of where Jesus encountered people living lives that, that other pe religious people wouldn't dare even talk to. We don't see Jesus condemn them for their actions. Instead, we see him love them, accept them, pick them up, clean them up and say, hey, you're better than that. I know that there's good in you. He wasn't content to see people remain in their guilt and shame. He loved them and sought to bring out the good in them. Guys, you can't, trust me, I've tried. You can't force someone else to change. Guys, I've been married almost seven years now. It'll be seven years and on Monday I will be married. Thank you. That was not what I was going for, but I've been married seven years. Trust me, I've tried to make someone change in the last seven years. Um, it does not work, okay? You cannot make someone change. It has to be their choice, right? You can't make someone change. It has to be their choice. But when you give, when you show them love and you give them a glimpse of how their life could be, or maybe more importantly, how their life should be, 
it could be something that leads to a radical change in them. That's the best way we can lead to a change in someone is to show them how their life should be or how their life could be if they were to pursue Christ with with everything they do. Guys, God is calling us to change the world for him. And it doesn't start with being tolerant of the world. It starts with going out into the world, being Jesus' hands and feet, showing love, showing compassion, but ultimately showing a corrective mentality to what the world tries to push back at us. God's love changes lives, and we have to be his love in action. Therefore, we can, we can and, and we, we can change the world for God, and really, we should be changing the world for God. You guys are on the forefront. A lot of us adults, we can get on Facebook. Yes, I still use Facebook because I'm old. But we can get on Facebook, and we can write up all the mean comments and the horrible things that we want. You guys are the people who have the ability to change the world because you're interacting with it, and you're in it every single day. Your schools, your, your community groups, your, your friend groups, whatever, that's the place where we need to see change in this world. And that is solely on your shoulders. God has put you in a position to be his change in the world. It's your responsibility to grab a hold of it and say, I'm going to choose to be someone who loves. And that may mean confrontation sometimes, not to be someone who's tolerant. You're called to change the world, but it will never be done through tolerance. It has to be done through love, the love of Jesus, the love that he showed every single person that he interacted with. You can read all four gospel accounts that every time Jesus interacted with sinners, he was, he was very, very loving of them. The church has become a place that people look at as judgment and condescending and that like sinners aren't welcome. Why would I invite my friend that's a sinner to church? Because we're all sinners. We all need to go to church. We need to love those people. We need to show them the love of God through our lives. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this group of students. Thank you so much for the, the burden and the responsibility that we have to go out into this world, to be your hands and feet, to show your love to this world. And God, I just pray that you would just help us to totally embrace exactly what that means. And I pray that you would just fill our hearts with your love and that you would make us so full of your love that it would be overflowing into those around us, God. God, I pray that you would just be with all of us Help us to see you. Help us to feel you. Help us to understand the plan that you have for our lives. And that we can be your hands and feet to this lost, dying, sick world around us. God, I pray that you would help us to be the change that you have designed us to be in this world. Pray that you would bless these students. Give them the strength and the courage to do your work in their daily lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.